0: We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now and leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165. That's 905-529-7165. And don't forget to check out their website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon, all one word, dot com. And of course, you can ask a question there via the listener inquiry button. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, Scott. Scott. You're not wearing shirts uh, shorts this morning. How no. come? <laughs> cool Welcome to October. That's yep. it. That's it. It's finally here. Yes. Uh, talking about journalism and how they hate when we're happy. Now, is this an anti-media thing again <laughs> here?
1: <laughs> it's something
2: to do with Trump or what's going yeah, on? Yeah, exactly.
1: I do have, should I, do should I have to sugarcoat it for you, Scott? Or, sure, uh, sure. <laughs> Well, yeah, no kidding about Trump. That, uh, the great debate was last week, and yeah. I'm sure they had a lot. I never did hear the number of listeners or watchers. Or- they were
2: talking Super Bowl mm-hmm. numbers, man. Wow, Really? We can't well, even get anybody to vote. How do they get Super Bowl <laughs> numbers for a debate? The market went down. The Dow Jones went down 100 points on Monday in really? anticipation of the election, and then it went up 100 points the next day because they were happy with the outcome. So Isn't that funny? The
1: outcome meeting?
2: Clinton won according to the markets. Uh, yeah. Isn't well, that interesting?
1: If anybody watched it. I, I thought it was a slam dunk win, but then I googled it after the after the debate, and it was like it was trending that Trump won. I think, oh my God, are you kidding me?
0: Well, I, from what I heard at the beginning, uh, people said that they were uh, they were satisfied with his performance at the beginning because yes. he was pretty much staying on topic and, and mm. what what have you. Then after the halfway point, I think he just. Uh, he, he started losing it and she was attacking him and uh, he started taking it personally and up goes the feathers. Stamina. Yeah. The smirks began. Well, <laughs> as far as stamina, he was the one that looked like he was out of breath. He was panting. Yes. He <laughs> uh, was drinking lots of water. He was sweating. I mean, he was the one that looked <laughs> well, uh, quite like a, he might uh, drop before her.
1: Well, the fact <laughs> is, us Canadians are even talking about this. I know. This what is that? means it uh, was good for TV. Yeah. Uh, journalists probably loved it. Certainly yeah. hit the social media and the, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even I uh, think there was a, uh, a fact finder, a fact checker, which I really thought was a good idea. And what idea. does
0: that say about the the state of our politics today when part of the coverage or team coverage that you're watching includes a fact checker? Yeah. Wouldn't, well, didn't we, wasn't there a time when we just assumed that if they were saying it, it was
1: true? Now we need a, a guy that's his
2: sole- That would soul, be the default p- position, <laughs> wouldn't exactly. it? Exactly.
0: <laughs> his sole purpose is to check the facts. Are you kidding
1: me? I, I would love a like a button that would go off red and then buzz every time if <laughs> exactly, something was a lie.
0: yeah. Hook it up. <laughs> To a cattle prod, so they yeah, get a little jolt yeah. every time they say something wrong. <laughs> it's just
1: a constant beep going on. Yeah, beep going on. exactly. Oh, uh, quite funny. But in the world of finance, it's interesting how journalism can twist anything. Mm-hmm. Okay, not too different, you know, different than a lot of the politics we we're just talking about. And one of the headlines, um, not long ago, it was, in fact, it was only a month ago, it was headline: fear index plunges.
0: Wow. I didn't know there was a fear index. Well, there isn't actually.
1: <laughs> okay. But what that meant was- It's very off- high
2: around Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> I,
1: bet, I bet it. It's,
2: the t- it's a seasonal thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it seasonal. Hey, it's Seasonally adjusted. Yeah.
1: Welcome to October. <laughs> That's right. Here we are. Good time. Fear factor. Fear <laughs> index plunges. What would that mean? It's really almost a double negative in a way. Right. Okay. What it meant was the stock really. markets- we're at all time highs. They were happy. Yeah. They're happy. <laughs> so instead of saying how the markets were up and everybody is actually feeling good about the markets right now, they mm. talk about the fear is going down. Hmm. Okay. So the, the whole idea of plunges makes it sound like a really bad thing. Yeah, it's okay? a drag, yeah. So immediately when I saw this headline I'm thinking, wow and then I had to catch myself, says what the heck is a fear index, just like you said, Scott. Yeah. And all it really meant was the investments were at all time highs. In fact, Big news. It hasn't happened for a long time. It was on August the 12th, 2016. So just uh, a month and a half ago. Big day. Hasn't happened for 17 years. What do you think that was? Don't know. Uh, Most people kind of missed that one too, so don't feel bad. Okay. It was when the NASDAQ, the S&P 500, and the Dow Jones all hit an all-time high all on the same day. I don't know how I missed that. <laughs> 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 I, I feel some sarcasm. <laughs> no, that spin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and the, the funny thing is, it wasn't long ago we we're talking about Brexit. Yeah. And how there was this immediate dip on the Friday, and then following the Monday, and then it's like, oh well, carry on. Life and, goes on. And then it, everything went on. But <clears> interesting <throat> enough, it hasn't hadn't happened since December. 1999 was the last time all three hit highs on the same day. Really? Now you gotta go back. What happened at that point? That was just prior to the, the uh, dot-com meltdown. Yeah, the tech uh, bubble. The tech bubble burst. Mm-hmm. So it took from 1999 basically until now for the NASDAQ to recover. So it took 17 years. So those companies now, they were full of literally air. Mm-hmm. There was no earnings in these companies. Um, It was like this, and I remember Andy and I were on the air at this time talking about this. It was like, it was a party going on, and if you weren't there, if you didn't have tech stocks in your portfolio, you were kind of like sitting with your nose pressed against a window watching this great party, wishing you are in this party, because everybody looks like they're having a ball. Mm -hmm. But the reality was they were actually partying for a big decline in their stock portfolio. They just didn't know it yet. Mm -hmm. And so, sure enough, it went down, and, and the NASDAQ, Dow Jones... And the, and the Standard & Poor's 500, all U.S. exchanges, and they're all different bases. Um, NASDAQ is mainly tech, and the uh, Dow Jones is is a certain amount of large cap stocks, and the 500 has got a lot of, it's a blend of all stocks, really. It's actually probably the best measurement of what the, the whole country is doing in terms of their stock market. So anyway, the fear index plunges, and what do we get from that? The ones that are not proponents of fear, and just kind of just wading it through, um, having a balanced portfolio, getting those boring returns, um, not that, uh, you know, let's go to sleep and keep rebalancing. It's very tough to rebalance. You go back to five years ago and you say, well, let's move money out of the Canadian index over to the US index. That was a, a big topic of uh, Andy and I's back then. Well, who would want to do that? Canada just had w- tremendous returns and the US just had 10 years of zero performance. Mm-hmm. Well, fortunately, a lot of our clients did. And they have now done extremely well because the U.S. side has been the best-performing area yeah. in the last number of years. So, the idea: keep going with your balanced portfolio. Um, look at what you should be investing in long-term, not short-term. And so, there's this chart, and it's kind of interesting. It goes. Through, I have this one right in front of me. I know. I don't know what it looks like to you. A bunch of squares looks like a, a puzzle, really. It looks
0: like <laughs> call uh, that. It's the uh, it's the uh, element table, isn't it? it? Looks like my. It, uh, daughter's, look like that. it Looks like my daughter's uh, science homework.
2: The best name I've had for it, if you visualize, it's called the quilt chart.
0: Oh, wow, yeah, very nice. Could be. Yeah, yeah. It does. Imagine a
2: quilt. You uh, if you th- have enough money, you'll keep warm. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so it goes from 1997 <laughs> to 2015. Obviously, 16 is not done yet and it has different asset classes such as the Canadian Bond Index, the large cap, Canadian large cap index would be Canadian large companies, Canadian small cap index, it is the, it's all the smaller companies in Canada. This has emerging markets, foreign equities which are mainly Europe, global bonds, global equities which is all across the whole world where, where US would also be part of that. The US small companies index and the US large company index. So, looking at this, You're saying, well, where should I put my money? And if here you are in 2009 and 2010, and you just saw the Canadian Small Cap Index do 75.1% 2009, 38.5% 2010, it kind of reminded me of the tech bubble. Hmm. Well, what happened after that? And I do know one thing. There was certainly a lot of people wanting to buy resource stocks at that time, which is a large proponent of the Canadian Small Cap Index, and oil and gas and so forth. Well, in 2011, it was position 8 out of 9. It did minus uh, minus 14%. Well, that's okay. It's a good time to buy. Mm -hmm. That's what most people would say. Well, the following year was also the same thing. 2.5% though. 2013, it was about middle of the road, 7.8%. Last two years in a row. It was a worst-performing asset class, minus 1 and minus 13.8. Hmm. So if you had to look at this and say, okay, which would I buy right now? I would look at perhaps the small cap index because it was doing so well. And that's kind of what most people do. They kind of, all it takes is a couple of good years like that. And it takes the whole trend of the 10-year. So for example, in 2009-10, it's up 110% actually about 120% in two years. Well, you can only imagine what the 10-year return is now. It didn't do... The 10-year return is probably about 15% a year, Mm -hmm. which means it did 3% for the other eight years, but it did phenomenal for the last two years. And it really skews returns. So the idea of this is never trying to pick a winner. It's trying to get a you know, a blend of all of them. And if you did that, your rate of returns would be somewhere in that eight to 9% area with far less volatility. And that's what asset allocation is all about. You know, I know we talk about it all the time and it's, it's actually probably, if you look at uh, Annie and I's job, it's probably one of the easiest parts of, of, of our job is trying to find out what a person's asset allocation should look like. Because we look at their risk tolerance, how long they have, and then we try to create a portfolio based on that, that is res- spreads the risk over all asset classes. Then that's the easy part, to be honest. Then you look at the uh, you know tax planning, estate planning, the insurance planning, what to do with cash flow, when do you want to retire, kids situations, that takes the most of the time. Mm-hmm. But what do most people focus on when they're talking about financial planning? Where do we invest our money? Mm-hmm. And it all comes down to creating asset, all- all- asset allocation, following up, on a regular basis. So I'm not sure if you have anything to add to that, Andy.
2: No, I just, it's funny, I met with a client this week and we were looking at their portfolio year to date. And you know, as I, the portfolio consisted of about 10 different um, mutual funds and which was properly geographically diversified, et cetera. And and I'd put down beside each one, each of the 10, their rate of return up until the end of September. So, uh, and that ranged from, I think, plus 7.1% on one of them. There was ones around 3%, 4%, 1%, and one of them was minus 9 So, the first comment that came out of the client's uh, mouth was, Well, I guess we'll be getting rid of that one that's minus 9. <laughs> and, I said, so let me just, you know, you're part of 80, about 88% of Canadians who like this strategy, which is sell things when they're low and buy something else that's high. She wanted to buy the plus seven one yeah, and sell the minus nine. So we kind of did a reframed it, but it's part of this process where we're just not geared to make good investment decisions when it comes to, uh, it comes to our strategy around asset allocation. So the model is, is important and sticking to your, sticking to your plan.
0: We are planning your financial future. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now, leave a message. They'll get back to you. 905-529-7165. That's 905-529-7165. Don't forget about the website, andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. And you can also ask a question there via the listener inquiry button. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. That's 905-529-7165. 65 home is where the heart is yeah and where most of the money is spent i'm guessing
2: where most of the money is spent and where the most of our money is invested Mm, and that's what i really want to focus on in this segment and you know we're looking back in previous decades and don don and i've both seen this over the years but as as savers or investors we tended to really stick a lot to our canadian stocks Mm. and the the main reasons looking back on it would have definitely have been limited access. So how do you get those foreign investments? How, and, and, and obviously the high cost. So it was very difficult, um, to, to actually get invested outside of Canada. Right. So, but that was probably 25, you know, 25 years ago when that environment really existed mm-hmm. today, we know it's definitely less costly to be able to invest outside of Canada. We know it's easier to invest overseas than it's ever been before. And, We know that the value of global diversification in terms of helping your portfolio, reducing risk and reducing volatility is, is key to your investment strategy. The reality though, is that we're still overweighting Canadian and we call this our home country bias. Hmm. And really, you know, if you think about it, uh, if I said to you, Scott, well, you're going to invest in, um, companies, you're going to invest in some stocks, but you can only limit yourself to companies in Ontario, Mm. and that's all you can buy. Would you question that strategy, right? Yeah, absolutely. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Because you you feel so limited in terms of what you have available to you. And when you look at the sort of, I guess, the balance around the world of how people would invest in terms of a global allocation, one simple analogy is what we call the MSCI, which is the Morgan Stanley Corporation Index, the All Country World Index. And the All Country, MS, the MSCI All Country World Index, it has no bias. It's basically just ba- based on what we call the market capitalization. And market capitalization means if you take the amount of stock that a company has, and its current price per share, so the number of shares plus the current price per share gives it a value, Mm -hmm. and then you took all the companies that are listed on a country's stock exchange and you took their value, and then you compared it to all the other countries around the world and all the other stock markets. Mm -hmm. You would end up with this index, which tells you a global kind of weighting of the value of stocks around the world, the market cap. Canadian stocks, when we total up all of our companies on our Canadian exchanges and the current value, works out to 3.2% of that global index, Mm. 3.2% of the world's stocks are here in Canada and our domestic allocation. In other words, you and I as average investors, we've allocated almost 60% of our portfolio to Canadian stocks, Mm. 60% the world index shows that our stocks are about 3.2% of the world, yet we're putting 60% of our money into that 3.2%. Could that be because of incentives? You're, you're, you're on the right track because I'm going to cover that. Why, why are we doing it? And so what's the rationale behind mm-hmm. it? And there are some incentives and we'll talk about that for sure. I guess the... Um, uh, fixed in- actually, and the interesting part is that fixed income. So I was just talking about stocks, but mm-hmm. fixed income. What we mean is when you talk about individual bonds or government bonds, is even worse. In the Canadian, in the world, uh, worldwide stage, our Canadian bond market is about two percent of the fixed income. Yet our domestic holdings, when we hold, when we buy bonds we're over 60%. We're even higher than stocks. Mm. So we're way overweight in in our bonds and we're way overweight in our Canadian stocks. So the reality is that it's not just a Canadian phenomenon. When you look at other countries, they tend to do the same thing. They tend to overweight their own domestic stocks. So the question is, is it a bias or is there a rational preference to doing this? And so when we were, I was looking at that, I thought, well, what does bias mean? And bias, if you were to define bias, it is a prejudice in favor or against one thing, person, or group compared with another, usually in a way considered to be unfair. Another a definition of bias is a particular tendency, trend, inclination, feeling, or opinion, especially one that is preconceived or unreasoned. So if it's a bias, ah, eh, that's not a really good, good reason to do this. If it's a rational preference, what would the rational preferences be? And this comes to your question. Well, the first one would be tax treatment. Mm -hmm. And in Canada, we do get preferential treatment for our dividends. So those companies, those stocks that pay us a dividend here in Canada, we get preferential tax treatment. If it comes from a foreign country, we do not get the dividend tax credit. Second rationale, um, RSP rules in 1994, limited us to only 10% foreign content. And most of us were saving in RRSPs and you could only put in 10% of your portfolio outside of Canada. Well, that slowly got eroded. And by the time we got to 2005, so that's 11 years ago now, 100% of your RRSPs could be in foreign. There's no restriction at all. And, uh, and so the, the, We probably still have a buy and hold legacy from that. In other words, people had a lot of Canadian in their RSPs to begin with. Even though those rules changed, they were sort of in a buy and hold mentality. So we sort of have this hangover in terms of that legacy.
1: And also, I think there's a a bit of a learned behavior from that too, because this is often their first investing they've ever done is into their RSP. So you go back to that legacy of investing where 90% had to be in Canada, and then it finally dropped to 80%, and then now it's nothing. Well, you've been doing this for 10 years now, so it's kind of doing okay. Yeah. Why should I change? Because, and, and it's again, it's it, you've already got some learned behavior and some biasness now. Comfort zone.
2: Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the other would be our employment bias from from an, um, an incentive. So we might have a company pension plan, and part of our company stock is in that pension plan. Or we have a share ownership program where we're buying stock in our Canadian companies, or our savings tend to build up again and focus in that Canadian area. And finally, the only other rationale would be currency exchange you know I'm going to retire in Canada I spend all my money in Canada uh, I'm going to use that as my uh, So I'm therefore I'm going to invest in Canadian because I don't have to worry about exchange risks and anything along the way
0: what about it being more secure <clears throat>
2: Well, secure then comes into part of the rationale, I think, which is, um, you know, the political or geopolitical issues around mm. this. And I actually kind of put that more into the not so rational side of it, <laughs> <laughs> mm. <laughs> although it makes sense. But uh, so the tax treatment makes sense, et cetera. We know the employment bias. And then, so as we there's think the, about- There's companies yeah? you
1: know, though. You know, you know, like Bell Canada, for example, but you may yes. not really know- Say Nestle as mm-hmm. well, even though they're probably even a larger company. I'm not quite sure. But again, these are companies that every day you hear of because you're, you're actually shopping there. You're using them. You're paying the bills and there are their yeah. names on the top, right? Yeah.
2: That's exactly what I was going to say. So one is what we call a, pre- a preference for the familiar, right? We we know, and in many cases, like right here in Canada, right, you're using a, a bank card with the name right on it, yeah. or you're using your um, your cell phone, et cetera. But and it was interesting. There was a, a research study done in 2012, uh, Indiana University titled No Place Like Home, The Familiarity in Mutual Fund Manager Portfolio Choice, found that U.S. mutual fund managers tend to invest more heavily in stocks from their home states Hmm. (laughs) from their home states it has also been demonstrated that familiarity leads to investors being more optimistic about domestic economies. So we just, we hear about our bank companies. We hear about our local companies. We hear about them in the press all the time. So we're just familiar with them and we're a lot more comfortable with them. We don't hear a lot about what's going on in German companies or UK companies or Japanese companies for that matter. Um, the other thing might be performance and Don mentioned this earlier, you know, we had uh, a great run in the commodities area, uh, and Canada's Canadian stocks did very well, in the early part of the of the millennial, and uh, but not so much in the last, you know, several years. Yeah. So that's that's part of it. Um, less currency risk. Well, we find that what a lot of people don't realize is that you know we do see a lot of people, our clients, they'll not stay in Canada all the time. They're often often traveling, or they. Re- They retire, not retire necessarily 100%, but they'll spend snowbird time down in the U.S. So you're actually using a lot of your dollars and having to convert them from Canadian to U.S. So part of your portfolio should be in U.S. to hedge that currency by owning U.S. companies. Mm -hmm. The second thing is that we do a lot of purchases here that are products based in U S dollars, fresh fruits, fresh vegetables, gasoline. Those are all U S dollar based products that we buy every day. So having a hedge against that is also going to help within your portfolio. Um, the, uh, I guess the dangers, as you think about, um, uh, performance, you know, Most of us missed that opportunity in the U.S. that Don talked about in 2015. We were heavily in Canada. We didn't have that exposure to U.S., and it was one of the strongest performing markets last year. Uh, And in many times, and I was talking about the quilt chart before, but if you look at which country did the best, which country did the worst in any given year, in 2015, Japan was the best performing stock market at 31.5% the Canadian stock market was minus 8%. Hmm. That's a 40% swing. If you didn't have some exposure to Japan, you lost out on yeah. part of the return. And, and this comes back to our concept of rebalancing too, and that's the important part of this process along the way. Um, and finally, the other thing I want to talk about in terms of dangers is what we call sector concentration. And sector concentration means that you're going to increase your risk and you're going to increase the volatility of your portfolio when you focus on Canadian companies because our stock market, the top three sectors of our stock market, which are financials, energy, and materials, make up 75% of our stock market. So three quarters of our market is just those three sectors alone. So your performance is going to ride the wave up and down based on those. And an example then, when you're looking at trying to diversify your portfolio, replacing Canadian investments, Canadian stocks, with Australian stocks would not make sense because they have the exact same issue we do. Their top three sectors are um, the energy sector and um, materials as well. So uh, you've got to watch what are the opposites of that when you're building a portfolio. for example, um, in the US, the UK, France, Germany, and Japan, those three sectors are way under 50%. So they are much less concentrated in those areas and therefore you're going to reduce your volatility. Uh, so when I think about, uh, the action plan, what should you be doing now? And I guess the main thing is really, you don't, you want to avoid this concentration risk. And, um, when you, when you think about matching things to your Canadian holdings, uh, you should probably avoid Switzerland, Hong Kong and Australia because they have those similar concentration map. in those three sectors. Right. So avoid that concentration mm-hmm. risk. Number two. Consider your currency exposure. Don't think that you just have to have everything Canadian uh, because you're going to be, you might be a snowbird in the future. You're obviously, again, you're using products that are based in US dollars as well. And the third approach is what we call dynamic asset allocation. And dynamic asset allocation, or our symphony process that we use at Investors Group, is about building a portfolio that includes this geographic diversification for you. So it builds in a discipline and it makes sure you sort of stick to your guns from a, from a, um, um, a diversification standpoint. Now, in the dynamic asset allocation area, We have a product called our Maestro Portfolio, and in this portfolio, they are trying to tweak the weightings of different geographic areas based on future opportunities, based on company exposure, et cetera. So right now, our Maestro Portfolio is saying 5% in fixed income bonds, 10% in real estate, and then here's the interesting part on the equities, 33.6% Canadian and 52% international. 33% Canadian and 52% international. Uh, So this is sort of a dynamic approach where they're tweaking it. They're going to either increase Canadian exposure, reduce Canadian exposure, and then also looking at those international funds, which, which countries they can be in. Our symphony process, which creates sort of a static asset allocation, and again, what we're trying to do is allocate money to different countries geographically and different types of assets so that we minimize the risk, minimize the volatility, and maximize your return. In that approach, we have 10% in real estate, so that's the same as the dynamic approach, 10% in fixed income in the bonds, and that would also include global bonds and uh, emerging market bonds. And then the allocation between Canada and international is 35%. Again, that was versus 33.6. So the Maestro right now is kind of underweighting the sort of fixed approach. Mm -hmm. And 45% international, 45% outside of Canada on the stock side versus 52%. So the dynamic approach is overweighting by about 7% those companies that are outside of Canada and outwards around the world. So... You know, can the United States is probably one of the big, biggest. Uh, it is the biggest. It's fifty-two percent of the world stock market. So the easiest way for you to get exposure geographically without going crazy all over the world is to get at least exposure to the U.S. Because mm-hmm. that way you start to get that um, you get that currency head, you get the currency exposure, you get the geographic exposure, exposure, and then you can begin to build out a little further from that. But right. it, it is a it is a key part.
1: Okay. Well. Interesting enough, every Canadian—that is, a working Canadian at least—is part of a dynamic approach to investing throughout the world. You may not know it, but our Canada Pension Plan is yeah. that. Okay, and it's kind of interesting. You know, you look back, and I don't have the data in 2016, but in t- December 2014, you had 8.1 percent of the overall portfolio was in Canadian equities, and and of equities in general were 50 percent. Okay, so approximately 16% of all the equities were in Canada, which is actually a lot less than what Andy was just talking about, 30 Yes. Well, now, here we are, December 31st, 2015, and the Canadian portion is about 11%. And so the foreign portion has gone from 70% to 80% in one year. And, and this is by no accident. They're doing the exact same kind of risk analysis, trying to get the best return with the least amount of risk and using... Stocks, of course, is part of that, um, but also geographic risk. And then on the bond side, they also have they have Canadian bonds, and they have foreign bonds, and they make changes based on where they feel those interest rates are going. And interesting enough, they also do real estate. And real estate's been gone has has gone from eleven percent, and this would be commercial real estate because mm-hmm. it wouldn't be out buying houses of right. the uh, Canada Pension Plan. But it's gone from eleven percent to thirteen percent in one year. So again, if you just if you actually Googled the Canada Pension Plan, you can see that this is going on all the time, but you can't do this yourself because you're always looking in the rearview mirror. You need to have a, a, like a, the dynamic. We have Maestro Portfolios with Investors Group here that literally does this every day and tries to make these minor adjustments. So it's following a very similar pattern as our own Canada Pension Plan.
2: And I guess as I said, Canada represents 3.2% in the world stock market in terms of weighting. Most of us here in Canada have over 60% of our money in in stocks, Canadian stocks. So 60% is clearly too high. 3.2% is maybe too low, but there has to be a happy medium somewhere in the middle. And that's what we're going to help you find.
0: We are planning your financial future. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. 905-529-7165.
2: Leave a message and they'll get back to you. We're coming right back.
0: We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can reach them now at 905-529-7165. Leave a message, they'll get back to you and check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. Why is renting a beautiful thing? Yeah, Isn't that, it about home ownership?
1: That, that sounds so anti-Canadian, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Yeah, no question. And, and it's kind of interesting. It's, it's too- up there with just having one bathroom. <laughs> 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 or only having three TVs. Yep. <laughs> 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. So, that's it. yes, it is interesting. Everybody's dream is to own a house, and you know what? I'm a homeowner. Yeah, but when you actually work it out as a financial decision, it's it's really interesting. We've had some of the. Why do
0: you try owning a car?
1: Oh, that's worse. Oh, yeah. true enough. That's a guaranteed. To that's depreciate. another. That's another show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, there's a. That's an expense, but. It's interesting, I, I, I had a client I saw yesterday. I uh, sorry, not yesterday, uh, three days ago. And uh, we were going over his return. He says, best investment I ever made was this house. I bought it for 130,000 and it's now worth 650. Yeah. And I said, wow, yeah, that's quite good. So I worked out the return. It was, he bought it in the 90s. And he said, you know, you'd be interested on what the return would be. And again, this doesn't include the fact you had to pay property taxes. Mm-hmm. Um, you had to put a new roof in, put a new kitchen in, redid the basement and whatever else he's done over the years. And it worked out to, and I guess I asked him, what do you think the average has been? He says, well, it's gotta be well over 10% a year. And I said, well, it actually works out to 5.6% a year. And this is right now, and I'm not saying this is the peak where, where it's done, but it has done extremely well in the last number of years. So you, it has been kind of skewed in terms of the rate of returns. So I said, well, how do you rent it why why is why do we just think you have to own and it is you know certainly the sensible thing to do and certainly your parents and your grandparents will tell you you have to own but what it does is, when it really does drown out anybody has a different viewpoint because there are some renters out there that do quite well they're hard, few and hard to find, I'll tell you, okay? Yeah, because
0: at the end of the day, doesn't this come down to force savings? And Because oh, mm. the old deal, oh, you know, mm. you rent, then take the money and just invest it. But who does that? Mm. Well, you, you
1: literally know? just went through almost a whole segment. We can wrap it up now. Thanks, Scott. And uh, another word for I have that. clearly,
0: <laughs> I have clearly been doing this show too long. You've been doing your homework, <laughs> I guess.
1: Uh, and I even put a star around that because that was my finish. But anyway... <laughs> There, there goes uh, the, so tell us that joke it, and I'll right, give out the punchline. Okay, <laughs> let's, get, let's get right to the back of the book and find out what this is about. Do you want to start the segment over? <laughs> and it is. You're absolutely right. It's all about discipline. Yeah. Discipline and the four savings of, of homeowners. But ownership. why, Don? Why? <laughs> give us some background, some meat to this. Well, there's always this thing is you're building equity when you, yeah. when you own a house because it's going up in value. And you're not doing that when you rent. Rent is simply throwing your money away. And mm. we've all heard that. But no, you can actually rent for the same house or the same accommodations for far less than what it costs to live there. Yeah. So there's a difference. And whatever that difference is, again, going back to what you just said, Scott, there's the discipline. What if you actually took that money and you did something with it? Well, right off the bat, people say, well, the houses have done great, as I mentioned, and they will outperform the stock market. Again, I feel like uh, going back to the start of our show, that little red buzzer would come on like the Trump debate. Mm-hmm. And it says, no, not true. It's actually underperformed the stock market. And it has over like 200 years. It's not just a one-off that we happen to be in a hot area in Toronto right now. Um, and, it, and ours are actually probably higher than most across Canada, other than Vancouver right now. So yes, you, there is that popular idea that, okay, home ownership's better. Well, I, and I love homeownership, don't get me wrong. But and it is a force savings. I love forced savings. But if there's all the costs involved. So that 5.6% that that client of mine received, you actually, if you start to have to pull out property taxes, yeah. okay, the opportunity cost, you've got money locked in that house. Okay, so now it's paid off, say. It's, just a, it's an asset sitting in there. And it's earning 56 Still pretty good. What the markets have been averaging about six and a half to seven in the exact same period of time then you look at the what's the cost of upkeep over and above just the normal it works out to one percent of the value of your house mm. is a very conservative estimate mm. so if you own a three hundred thousand dollar home which doesn't exist anymore that would be three thousand dollars a year okay every anyway, so i don't spend that much on your house you may not do it every year yeah okay but you start averaging it out, and it's amazing how it'll nickel and dime you to death. And talking about lifestyle, Andy was uh, talking just off the air about, he gets home from vacation, and what do you have to do when you own a house? Yeah.
2: Well, you look at all the things that haven't been done and yeah. all the time, and I got to do this, I got to do that to get caught up. And I was thinking, as you were talking about this, I was thinking about, you know, those people that are renting, you know, if you, or if you own a home, and let's say your, water, your furnace breaks down, if you don't have the money, guess what? You've got to get a new furnace. It doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. So you have to find the cash. You either have to borrow it or finance it, and you have to invest back into your house. If you're renting, if you were forced to make that same investment in your savings, just randomly, yes. like come up with <laughs> five grand or ten grand to put a put an investment together. You wouldn't do it, or yeah. you might do it. Yeah. But if you have, to, if you were forced to, like yeah. we're forced to do our things, our fix-ups around the house, that would be money that you have to factor into the rental guy that, yeah. that, that could be putting that money away.
1: Mm-hmm. And so there's the whole, the whole idea, there's always something, especially when you go away, and this is where you're looking at owning, say, a foreign property, say a place in Florida, or mm-hmm. a vacation home, a, a cottage. There's always something at the back of your mind says, well, I hope somebody's looking after this. It's another layer of responsibility. Now, the one kicker, I must say, with home ownership in Canada is you get that tax-free growth. And I thought this was always the best deal, and I'm a big advocate of that. But it works out when you take into the capital gains and the tax you have to pay on it, it didn't affect the return as much as people think. And now, with the advent of tax-free savings accounts, and you were able to pile that difference into a TFSA, you are now getting also tax-free growth. Mm. Okay? So you take all these things in together. It's really one of those you got to look at lifestyle, flexibility, job, um, where your life situation now—single, married, what have you. Whether you want to have kids, whether you, there's a lot of decisions to go. But don't think it's purely because you're, you're going to get a better return and it's a better investment. It may not be.
0: I was the best advice I was given uh, way back when was if you don't need a house because I was a single guy at the time, don't buy it. Mm-hmm. If you don't need the property, mm-hmm. if you don't need the space, don't buy it. Which yeah. is why I bought the cottage. Well, job. job <laughs> you know, you a go.
1: lot of people are very m- moving around for different jobs now. Yeah. And you think about selling your house yeah. and the cost of selling your house. Yeah. And, and and I know you you moved around a little bit early yeah, on. Yeah, quite a bit. Yeah. yeah. Well, if you're tied down to a house, that's like, oh, geez, do I really want to go to Vancouver? Yeah. Well, what about this Calgary job? And, you know, you're renting. Yeah. No big deal. Oh, a couple of nuts, and you're done.
0: Yeah. We are planning your financial future. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. 905-529-7165. If you'd like to reach them, call now, leave a message, they'll get back to you. Talking about your financial readiness here.
2: Ready for what? Are you ready? I don't know. Are you ready to retire? Your (laughs) financial habits are going to make a big difference in terms of your your success in retirement. Now, I will tell you, Scott, we're going to test you. You There's five areas here. We're only going to have time for one today. There's five areas. And you can, depending on your score, you're either going to be a financial readiness all-star or a financial moderately ready or the lowest score would be Definitely improvement needed.
0: I may not be here to finish this show. All right, here we go.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Question number one. Um, I spend, so this is on budgeting. This section is all on budgeting. Question one. I spend within my means. Answers are, number one, never. Number two, sometimes. Number three, often. Or number four, always. I spend within my means.
0: I should be saying this in a soundproof room where you guys can't hear no, me. No, no,
2: let's hear it. What's your answer?
0: Uh, I would say often.
2: Often. Okay, gotcha. Question two. I have an emergency fund that can cover at least three months of living expenses. Uh, the Options are, number one, never. Number two, sometimes. Number three, often. Number four, always.
0: I would say often.
2: Number often. All right. Next question. If my next paycheck came a week late, I would be able to meet my financial obligations. Answers are never, sometimes, often, or always.
0: I would say always.
2: Okay. Uh, Question four. Over the past year, I have been able to cover all my expenses. Answers are never, sometimes, often, or always.
0: I would say often.
2: Okay. Question five. I know how my money is spent and earned. Question Answers are never, sometimes, often, or always. Always. All right.
1: I'm ready to retire now. Let's go here. Okay,
2: let's add them up. Mm-hmm. That should be one more question.
1: <laughs> ha, has this show helped you understand... <laughs> <laughs> All those previous questions. <laughs> Always. I think I already answered that. Yeah, good point.
2: Okay, you scored 12, so you're just on the cusp. You're on the cusp yeah, between moderately ready and a financial readiness all-star. So, as a as a moderately ready, <laughs> <The all-star team. laughs> as a moderately ready, uh, you are more financially ready in some areas of your life than others. Speak with your advisor to learn how you can help strengthen your weak spots and boost your confidence to handle everything life has in store, whether planned or unexpected.
0: I don't know if I want to do that. <laughs> yeah.
2: That might mean having to change my lifestyle. You know, something
0: about living in he, denial. He's going to tell me something I don't want to hear. <laughs>
2: Uh, so that's part of this. Uh, there's five categories in this, and it really does kind of give you a good benchmark, I think, and some gets some thought, and opens up some discussions as well. The other the other areas are your investment and retirement planning. That's sec- section two. Section three is on debt. Okay. Section four- I
0: may not do too well on that one. No, you might lose
2: some (laughs) points there. You might drop down into that moderate area. A confident moderate. Confident moderate. That's it. That's me. Uh. Uh, Section four is your financial protection, okay, which would be insurance, etc., in case of illnesses or death or a disability. Uh, And then finally, the last section is your financial stress, all right? So, uh, and this is part of our, I think, you know, one of the goals whenever you're going through the process of somebody and developing a finan- a comprehensive financial plan is to a focus in where are people's areas of weakness and that something like this can help us pull that information out of people. Uh, what if your weakness is shopping? Ooh, <laughs> <laughs>
1: <alcoholic>. retail therapy. <laughs> yeah.
2: That comes under the budgeting thing. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, we have VAs. Yeah, we have yeah, ways to control me, that's that. That's not me, by the way. <laughs> okay. Um, but it, it's a valuable tool because it really does help us focus in on where the strengths and the weaknesses are for an individual or for a couple are. And as we develop their plan, we can kind of accommodate that within some of the strategies that we're using. And again, it just it all comes down to having a comprehensive financial plan. Mm-hmm. It's based on your goals. It's based on your risk profile. And it's based on your priorities and timelines. And I think that... Um, Uh, the, the value of a plan and, and what I've seen over the last several years as I've meet with people and review their plan and it's report card time. And it's exciting because people want to know, are are we moving forward and what progress are we making? And it's nice to be able to sort of tick the boxes off as you begin to look at that march towards accomplishing your goals. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's nice when you cover, accomplish those short-term goals, but it's also nice to see that you're on track for those long-term goals. And, uh, so again, um. More and more today, I think people, you need to feel like you have a comprehensive financial plan. This is not about just your investments. We talk a lot about investments because obviously that's a key component, but you need to understand where am I in terms of my 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 debt? Where am I in terms of my retirement goals? Are we okay in terms of our children's education? What happens if we get sick or we can't work? And finally, what happens to our estate if we die? Is this going to be a smooth transition or is this going to create a can of worms? Are we missing opportunities? So a comprehensive plan looks at all aspects of that. And uh, and and I think that um, today, uh, that's what differentiates a certified financial planner from the average investment advisor, mm-hmm. is that they're looking at that comprehensive picture and that today is, is producing better results, people are accumulating more money, and they're more confident as they head into their retirement as well.
1: And and one other part of the Retirement Readiness Quiz, if you have to go to our website, www.investorsgroup.com, you will just put in Retirement Readiness Quiz, and you'll actually go through, uh, it's different questions than Andy just, um, just went through, but one is simply your social side. It's one thing to be financially ready for all this. But where are your friends? How many are at work and do you have any outside other interests? Oh, yeah. and, and for a happy retirement, it's more than simply the money. Now, I've got to say money is a big part of that. Yeah, <laughs> I don't see anybody happy without the money, yeah. but certainly there's more things to it. So it's a great exercise to go through.
0: We have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox have been here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can reach them, 905-529-7165. You can call now and leave a message and check out their website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. Thank you, gentlemen. Have a great week.
2: Thanks, Scott. Take care.